And long ago, I learned if you want to use an illustration from real life to make a point in your sermon, you better tell on yourself rather than anyone else. So with that in mind, I'll share this. Unless anyone ever think otherwise, I used to be able to cuss a pretty severe mean streak. And every once in a while, I'm occasionally reminded that I haven't necessarily forgotten how. You can just tuck that information into the back of your mind for a little while. We'll go back to that later. As you know, we tend to focus directly on the gospel passage. And today, that gospel passage coming from Mark chapter 7. But we are blessed by those who have assembled the lectionary this Sunday and that they actually all do touch on each other in a fairly distinct way. So we're going to kind of skip across the top of the, of the Old Testament and the epistle reading in order to bring something uh, more substantial to the gospel than if it just stood alone. Beginning in the Old Testament, which was Deuteronomy, in the first few verses of chapter 4. And now, O Israel, hear the commandments and judgments which I teach thee, that doing them thou mayst live, entering and may possess the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, will give to you. We translate that information, the promises of the Old Testament into the New Testament. We see the people of Israel being continued as the church. So that promise of the promised land is the promise of the kingdom of God. So what was said then in the keeping of the commandments in order to enter into the promised land, we have the keeping of the commandments to enter into the kingdom of God. You shall not add to the word that I speak to you, Neither shall you take away. Keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. A simple comment on that. People love to add and take away. It really all depends on your perspective and what your priorities are. But every different group out there has added their little bit or taken away their little bit or done a mixture of both. For one example, if you go to Rome or Orthodoxy, there are fasts that are mandated by the church which are not commanded in the Bible. They don't even exist, many of them. Now, there's nothing wrong with fasting. It's, in fact, a good thing. But it's a matter of personal piety and devotion and prayer intention, not something to be externally mandated. If you go on the other end of the spectrum to our more fundamentalist brothers and sisters in Christ, there are other prohibitions. The little thing that I heard growing up, don't drink, don't dance, don't chew, and don't go with girls that do. Right? Again, nothing wrong with any of those things. There's, however, many in our society that need to refrain from activities. Uh, particularly, you know, the biggest example being alcohol. Some cannot drink in moderation and therefore, as a result, drink to a point of drunkenness. And that is prohibited in Scripture. But simply to make a blanket prohibition 
is adding to the law. These are simply two easy to, easy to spot additions to the commandments. And we don't want to look, or at least I don't want to look, as if I'm pointing an accusing finger at others and ignoring the problems that we have internally within Anglicanism. We have large swaths of our communion that, well, they actually seem more intent on taking away from the commands. Throughout the Anglican Communion, there's a battle over the standards of sexual morality. And those battles just rage from one province to another and internally within provinces between dioceses. And biblical mandates and how we express our human sexuality include adultery, that's anyone other than your spouse, fornication, that's any unmarried people, regardless of who they are, Prostitution, which by its very nature will violate either of the previous two standards. Pornography, because it creates a reaction of lust. And Jesus makes clear that whatever you do in your heart is just as important as what you do with your body. Homosexuality, clearly prohibited and forbidden in the law and multiple New Testament passages and the epistles. And then we can go on and list off a whole bunch of others that I think are pretty obvious as to why they violate the will of God. But we will find members of clergy, even those who have been made bishops and archbishops, and members of the laity within Anglicanism, defending and allowing many of those, and for some, even most of those, behaviors which the Bible clearly prohibits. It does not matter, though, Whichever example you want to use, it does not matter if you are adding or taking away from the commands of God. To do so, you are wrong. Period. But as I said, just about every different slice of Christianity has the bits that they add and the bits that they take away. We must guard ourselves against that, no matter where we find ourselves in a church home. If you are ever to hear me, speaking of this particular church home, say or teach something that does not conform to the biblical mandate, you're to challenge me. Where is that allowed? Or where is that prohibited in the Bible? Now then, with that clearly made point, let us turn our attention back to Deuteronomy. When we get to the end of that appointed reading, we hear Moses tell us, in verse 9, keep yourself therefore and your soul carefully. Forget not the words your eyes have seen. Let them not go out of your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Keep the commandments. And make sure your children keep the commandments. What are the commandments? A quick review. I am the Lord Thy God, thou shalt not have any strange gods before me. Number two, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember to keep holy the Sabbath day. Honor thy father and mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And that really encompasses the totality of sexual sins. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife. That's 
the whole lusting after another. And thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. It is lust towards property. You can't have lust towards people and you can't have lust towards property. Now, some may think that based on what I said already, I might be preparing to turn to some strict thou shalt not type preaching. That's the preaching that I largely grew up with. <clears throat> but I shall not. I do want to highlight something about the command, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. When I was much younger, I heard this passage explained as a catch-all prohibiting vulgar language. The actual text and the context, however, do not support such an understanding. Let me share with you some information from biblical scholars on this topic in the culture and religious context of the Hebrew people and neighboring people, a name was a symbol and expression of the person named. The prohibition on using the name of God in vain, that is falsely, means that it should always be used with due reverence. An extreme case of transgressing this commandment is the sin of blasphemy. And it should never be used to call on God to witness something untrue. We hear that done all the time. As God is my witness. And then the person proceeds to tell a lie. Continuing, the second commandment relates to the first. It preserves the Lord from superstitious control through the use of the divine name. In the ancient world, to bestow a name Know a name or change another's name implied certain authority over the individual. Hence, Adam names animals and gains stewardship over creation. We see that also in Abram becoming Abraham. Sarah becoming Sarah. God showing, I have control of your situation. And finally... You shall not swear falsely by the name of the Lord appears to reflect the meaning of the parallel text in Leviticus. You shall not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your Lord. Again, it's the idea of a false oath. I bring all of this up because what I learned growing up that the second commandment is a pro prohibition against profanity in general is one of those examples of adding to the commandments. Now, as we move to the epistle with that background information in mind and reading from the first chapter of James, I want to point out some details. I won't reread the entire passage, just a few points. Every best gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no change nor shadow of alteration. There we have the reinforcing of the message not to change God's commands. You know, my dearest brethren, and let every man be swift to hear, but slow to speak and slow to anger. And with that, I'll ask, why slow to speak and slow to anger? Well, typically, the first thing that comes to mind when you may be getting angry is frequently the last thing you ought to say. Wherefore, casting away all uncleanliness and abundance of naughtiness, with meekness 
and receive the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. And all uncleanness and the abundance of naughtiness. Such a polite way of saying sin. And receive the word which the first chapter of the Gospel according to John makes clear to us is Jesus who is able to save our souls. And then, what we're going to key in on, if any man thinks himself to be religious, not bridling his tongue, but deceiving his own heart, his religion is vain. The second command is not about swearing a false oath and not against profanity. Just what is it that I'm bridling? That was my question as a young and more than occasionally obnoxious person who thought himself smarter than the church authorities. I obviously could be profane and vulgar in my speech. There was no prohibition in the commandments. I had done my research. I knew what the Bible says. The only thing I had to not do is take the name of the Lord in vain, not swear a false oath. No asking God to curse people in that frequently said profanity when faced with the slightest annoyances. Now, I can avoid those things. Matter of fact, those really weren't even my way of thinking. And best of all, that left me free to use all the language that I made frequent use of without any reservation or hesitation or any sense of guilt whatsoever. And then one day I read the passage that we read earlier in our gospel text. Reading the gospel is almost always free from any bad feelings. Now, Jesus doesn't ignore sin, not at all. He's full well responds to sin and the damage that it does to lives. But Jesus' response is always forgiveness towards the one who seeks to be forgiven. Stories of sin in the Gospels is a series of tragedy stories which are redeemed through Jesus' grace and mercy. I had never felt bad when reading a passage from the Gospel until the day that I had read and actually really paid attention, because obviously I had read this passage many times before and just had not paid attention whatsoever. And now read it in a way that it actually impacts my understanding of life. And calling again the multitude unto him, Jesus said to them, Hear me all and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things that come from within a man, those are they that defile the man. For it is from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile. Have you made the connection? For years I was self-satisfied with my profane and vulgar language that had believing that it had nothing to do with whether or not I was a good Christian or not. Now I read the words of Jesus and he tells me it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth that reveals your heart. It's what comes out of your mouth that shows the real you. 
Immediately I realized that my profane and vulgar language revealed a vulgar and profane heart. I did not want a vulgar and profane heart, so I began the much more challenging than I expected process of removing profanity from my language. I never wanted anything to exit my mouth that would reflect an unredeemed life. That's my story. And like I said at the beginning, you want to use an illustration, tell on yourself. So I'll ask you to consider privately what is contained in your speech, what exits your mouth, what reveals the things that are within your heart. Now, in my case, it was profanity, but Jesus gives us a long list. From within, out of the heart, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Doesn't take long thinking about that list before you can start associating conversations and words that might exit your mouth to reveal those things going on within. All these evil things come from within and they do defile. Amen.